Hi, I'm Father Chris Alar of the Marian Fathers here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy, and welcome to the 101st episode of Living Divine Mercy here on EWTN. Why is the feast of Mary's Assumption, which we celebrated this week, a holy day of obligation when it isn't even in the Bible? Or is it? Although we call it a feast, it is actually a solemnity, which is the highest kind of feast. So what do we need to know about the Assumption? Well, unlike the Ascension, when Jesus rose body and soul into heaven by his own power, the Assumption of Mary was not preceded by a resurrection, and she was not lifted into heaven by her own power. She was assumed into heaven by the power of God. Yes, the Assumption is a holy day of obligation because it has been honored for centuries. But how do we explain it if we can't find direct evidence of it in the Bible? First of all, we must remember that just because something is not in the Bible doesn't mean it isn't true. The Bible itself says this in John 21, 25. So what does the Bible say about nuclear war or about human cloning or about artificial intelligence? Nothing. But would anyone argue these are not critically important moral issues of our times? So God just wants us to accept these things with no moral guidance? Of course not. And that is why Christ gave us a church in Matthew 16, 18, because every moral issue in the history of the world cannot possibly fit into one book. He gave us the church to guide us in those areas that develop over time. The church is not man-made, but God-made, as Jesus passed his authority down from his apostles to us. That is why apostolic tradition, not man-made tradition, is in the Bible, and why St. Paul said to hold fast to the traditions that he taught, both oral and written. Sola Scriptura, which means Bible only, is not in the Bible but sacred apostolic tradition is. Things such as human cloning didn't even exist when the Bible was written. So to say, where is that in the Bible, is not a valid question. In fact, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but this is the basis of all of Christianity. The Bible doesn't even record Peter or Paul's journey to Rome, yet we know that they were both martyred there. However, there is actually evidence of the assumption in the Bible, at least metaphorically. Revelation 12 says a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman was clothed with the sun and gave birth to a son who would rule the nations. That has to be Mary, because her son Jesus is the one who rules over all the nations. And we can also look to sacred apostolic tradition which, along with Scripture and the Magisterium, guide us Catholics in our way of life. Thus, the three legs of our Catholic faith stool are Scripture, 
sacred apostolic tradition, and the magisterium. Even the Jewish faith had the same three legs. They had scripture with the Torah, they had a magisterium with the teaching authority of Moses, and they had sacred tradition. It came down with Moses from Mount Sinai. So if we follow St. Paul's objective, we can certainly see why it is fitting that Mary would have had to have been assumed body and soul into heaven without any decay. Why? Because it is sacred tradition. Although not declared a dogma until 1950, the assumption has been believed and celebrated by all Christians for centuries before the first Protestant church even existed. The word assumption is based on the Latin word assumptio, meaning to take up. According to traditions in the East, St. Thomas was not around when Mary passed away because he was three days late to Mary's funeral, and he requested to see Mary's body. However, when her tomb was opened, her body was not there, and only lilies were found in his place. In Roman Catholic doctrine, the assumption means that Mary was taken or assumed bodily into heaven at the end of her time on earth. The apostolic constitution, Munificentissimus Deus, was promulgated by Pius XII in 1950 and was made a doctrine necessary for salvation, a dogma. It states, the Immaculate Mother of God, the ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. Now, it doesn't specifically say if Mary died or not, and in the East, they use the term dormition, which means to fall asleep in a peaceful death. The taking of Mary into heaven became an established teaching across Eastern, Western, Coptic, and Oriental churches in some form from the 5th century, again, a thousand years before the first Protestant church was even created. So it has significant historical importance and was taught through tradition, as St. Paul says to do. Since sin and death are the fruits of Satan, the freedom of Mary from the original sin of Adam frees her from the consequences of sin as well. So some believe that to be evidence that Mary didn't die, but simply slept before going to heaven. In this way, Mary best fulfills the scripture of Genesis 3.15. There it is prophesied that the seed of a woman will crush Satan with his feet. Since Jesus rose to heaven to fulfill this prophecy, it follows that the woman would have a similar end since she shared this enmity against Satan, as the Bible says. This leads us to the fittingness of this solemnity. Considering God's reverence towards the first Ark of the Covenant, St. Robert Bellerman asked this question, who could believe that the new ark of holiness, the dwelling place of the Son of God, the womb of Mary, the temple of the Holy Spirit, would be allowed to crumble into dust. I shudder at the very thought that the virginal flesh of which God was conceived and born 
which nourished him and carried him should have turned into ashes or been given as food for worms. Wow. For us Catholics, the belief in the Assumption of Mary flows from the belief in her Immaculate Conception, which we celebrate in December. We believe that if Mary was preserved from sin by the free gift of God, she would not be bound to experience the consequences of sin, which is physical death in the same way we do. Mary's assumption shows the result of this freedom from sin, the immediate union of her whole being, body and soul, with her son Jesus Christ at the end of her life. For me personally, Proof of the assumption lies in the fact that the early church prized relics of early Christians, yet no city has ever claimed to have Mary's remains. Jerusalem, Nazareth, Ephesus, and Bethlehem would certainly have used any such relics if they existed as a way to draw Christian tourists. Well, they never did. Why? because they never had them. A skeptic who denies Christ's resurrection should be asked to find some evidence of the remains of Christ. And the same challenge can be extended to whoever denies Mary's assumption. If you say she is rotting in the grave as with any sinner, how is it possible that early Christians would not have marked Mary's grave? especially since worship of Christ was well-established by the time Mary's life on earth ended. And finally, while it is not a public holiday, in New York City, the laws regarding which side of the street you can park on are suspended for Assumption Day. Hey, at least we haven't gone totally bonkers just yet, as Father Mark Goring would say. Mary, Mother of Mercy, pray for us. Now, we know Mary always kept watch for her son Jesus, so let's hear the story of the Night Watch nuns. They are the Dominican Sisters of Hawthorne, New York, and they care for the poor afflicted with incurable cancer. They sit, visit, and keep watch over their patients. The moon is rising. The lights from Rosary Hill home glow warmly through the gathering darkness. The day is ending for most, but for one sister, her work is just beginning. Work that will take her through a long night of care and prayer called Night Watch. Night watch here at Rosary Hill or other homes is a time where one of the sisters is present to the patients all night. So anything that they need, that sister is on duty to provide. So we stay awake so that they can sleep peacefully. Our foundress is Mother Mary Alfonso. She was known as Rose Hawthorne Lathrop before she started her community. She's the youngest daughter of Nathaniel Hawthorne. So she was born in Lenox, Massachusetts, only a few miles from where the Divine Mercy Shrine now stands. She was a convert. She, she was married. She had a son who died. She and her husband separated with the permission of the bishop. And after her conversion, she wanted very much to be useful. 
to the Lord. She wanted to serve him. And she heard about the plight of people with incurable cancer being sent away to Blackwell's Island if they could not afford care. And she said it lit a fire in her heart where it still burns. So in 1896, she took a three-month cancer nursing course. She had no nursing experience before that. And then she rented an apartment in the Lower East Side and began bringing people in to live with her who had incurable cancer, which was especially brave at the time because people thought, even in the medical community, that cancer was contagious. So from the beginning, she's brought people in to live with um, in the home with her, and now we bring them to live with us. We're funded exclusively by donations. We do not ask for money, we don't go out and beg, and we don't receive any money from the patients, their families, or the government. So it's all private donations or money that people will leave us, perhaps in their wills, things like that. People find out about us by word of mouth or through social workers at hospitals once they have, uh, once they need us. Um, but other than that, we're not as well known as some other more visible communities. The whole building would be called a convent, and we have what we call the the convent side, which is where the sisters live, and then the hospital side, which is where our patients live, and then the chapel is right in the middle. It's the oldest part of the building. The only way that you can do this work every day and love it and enjoy it and put the person in front of you first is by grace. The grace of a vocation and the grace of the sacraments and a regular prayer life. Um, I wear a wedding ring because I'm not a single woman who does nice things. I'm a, a bride of Christ and he takes care of us and we take care of the people in trust to us. They care. Oh, they care about you so much. They're part of my family now. So I tell my family all about them, and they can't believe it. But here I have picked up the, the feeling and the warmth and the devotion that they have. And it just, it got right into my system. And I feel so good. Night Watch. A time when Our Lady walks the halls with us. And where his mother is, so is Christ. One of the responsibilities you have on Night Watch, and also one of the ways that's helpful to stay awake, is that you go and check on each patient that you're responsible for. So you stop in every room, on every rounds, to make sure they're comfortable, they're safe, and they don't need anything. I grew up Catholic, uh, but I did not get deep into my faith until later in high school and in college. And that's when I learned about how many beautiful things there are within the Catholic faith. This kind of life is the life that allows a person to give themselves completely over to God, um, to his love, and to allow his love to completely take over oneself. And that's what I desire. The chapel is at the heart of the home, physically and, and spiritually. 
But the, the nursing side, where we do our care of the patients over in the hospital, we do everything we can to keep them comfortable. So that's a lot of pain management, a lot of attentiveness to the symptoms that they're having, but we do not do ongoing treatment or therapies for their cancer. Our life here you can't talk about without talking about Divine Mercy. Each sister is first and foremost a recipient of Divine Mercy, and from the mercy we know that we need and have received, we're able to show mercy to those that the Lord entrusts to us who are also in need of both human mercy and Divine Mercy. If they wake up in pain, if they need company, if they need any water, anything simple from the major to the simple needs uh, that come up during the night, we're there for them. My very, very favorite um, quote from Mother Alfonza is, if the Lord knocked on our door, we would not be ashamed to show him what we have done. I mean, I'm an old person, but I feel so, so good to be in their care and that I've gotten closer to the Lord because of them. I love it. I'm in heaven. The need for people who know the value, the sacredness of a natural death is becoming increasingly important. To give God that time with people who have any kind of incurable illness is a, such a privilege and it's something that should be defended um, by our actions and our words. And I, I look forward to spending the rest of my life with people who are in need of that, who have been given the opportunity to be here with us to be cared for until the Lord calls them home in his time. Well, thank you, sisters, for taking care of those patients and doing the works of mercy. Now, let's hear from our brand new novice master, Father Thaddeus Langton in Meet Marian. I don't remember a time that I didn't think about a priestly or religious vocation. My mom died when I was two, and our pastor was a good holy priest, and he accompanied my family after she passed away. And he was a good example to me of a good, holy man and priest. And at my priestly ordination, I remember my brother brought a little book out from kindergarten or pre-K, and I don't remember this, and I already have written there, P is for priest, I wanna be a priest. And I had a little stick figure drawing of a person at the altar. So. It was a seed implanted in me, probably from birth, and that having grown up at a good parish with a good pastor just naturally bore fruit. I had other ideas of being an Air Force pilot and becoming an astronaut, but this pretty much always accompanied me when I was growing up. So uh, back before we just used uh, streaming devices and MP3s, Lighthouse Media had the kiosks of CDs, 
And I remember I had listened because I lived in Texas and I drove a fair amount. So I listened to all the talks already by Scott Hahn. I'd listened to then Father Crappie. His talks were still out. Uh, and I saw one by Father Donald Calloway, MIC. And my vocation story in that regard isn't exactly uh, the, the most intelligent we can say. I saw MIC and I think K-E-Y from Mickey Mouse. So I thought, well, I'll listen to this like Disney priest and see what he's up to. Because the one name among all the other uh, CDs that I didn't know about, didn't hear about, so I thought I'll give this guy a try. I don't know what he's gonna talk about. Uh, I heard his vocation story. Now he and I have polar opposite lives <laughs> because he lived a very colorful childhood and teenage years, let's say. Uh, I couldn't even tell you where local drugs were because <laughs> I was not exposed to any of it. Uh, but when he talked about Divine Mercy, Our Lady and the Rosary, Souls in Purgatory, those were three things that just fit like a glove for me because since my parents, my grandparents all passed away, praying for the Souls in Purgatory is part and parcel of my life. Uh, we grew up praying in front of the statue of Our Lady of Fatima given to us by the pastor after my mom's death every Sunday. And my dad introduced me to the Divine Mercy message with a booklet from the Marians. Now, I never paid attention to the fact that it was published by the Marians, um, but he did introduce me to that, and he did ask me every three o'clock to pray with him uh, when I was at the house. So it was through Father Don Calloway, through his testimony, he mentioned those three elements. It seemed like it fit, um, and the rest is history. <laughs> Divine Mercy, uh, for me historically, has been connected to my father, who introduced me to it, I remember, on a good Friday, uh, right around three o'clock. And I remember being a bit skeptical uh, as a teenager. I wasn't a punk, but uh, I had my, my way of being rebellious. And I remember reading what now is the, the booklet that the Marians published, The Message and Devotion to Divine Mercy. And I remember reading it and I thought, this is too good to be true. And I didn't really buy into it. But I remember my dad saying, no, the Lord promised that at three o'clock, you can ask anything and the Lord will, will grant it. So I remember humoring him, um, but he really began to insist on it the month before he passed away. Uh, and he asked me specifically, because I'd already finished high school, to pray with him at three o'clock every day. And so divine mercy for me intrinsically is related to both my father his death and then the time afterwards as a moment when the Lord was trying to prepare me for that difficulty and trying to basically say, I'm with you. For me, Divine Mercy is tied with that experience, not just because of providential historical reasons, but it's the Lord's way of teaching me. Divine Mercy is his presence with us in that darkness, like in the image, that he shines his light into that darkness. And that faith is not about making believe that he's present. It's opening our eyes to the fact that in that darkness, there is a very, very hidden light of a presence of a love that accompanies us. He doesn't always take away the pain, doesn't always take away the darkness itself, but he's there present in it. And that's been the greatest blessing in terms of knowing divine mercy, that when I say, Jesus, I trust in you, it's saying, Jesus, I trust in you to someone who's there present, even if I don't see him or feel him at times. Now let us hear from Father Gabe, where he reads in Scripture more about the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Mother. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, 
Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Mary was given the role of spiritual mother to all the disciples of Jesus when she stood at the foot of the cross. St. John Paul II reminds us that this doctrine is an invitation to all Catholics to enter into a personal relationship with Mary, to have recourse to her prayers, and to experience her maternal love for us all. As John Paul II writes, Jesus' words, behold your son, effect what they express. Making Mary the mother of John and of all the disciples destined to receive the gift of divine grace. On the cross, Jesus did not proclaim Mary's universal motherhood formally, but established a concrete maternal relationship between her and the beloved disciple. In the Lord's choice, we can see his concern that this motherhood should not be interpreted in a vague way, but should point to Mary's intense personal relationship with individual Christians. May each one of us precisely through the concrete reality of Mary's universal motherhood fully acknowledge her as our own mother and trustingly commend ourselves to her maternal care. Once, the confessor told me to pray for his intention, and I began a novena to the Mother of God. This novena consisted in the prayer, Hail, Holy Queen, recited nine times. Toward the end of the novena, I saw the Mother of God with the infant Jesus in her arms, and I also saw my confessor kneeling at her feet and talking with her. I did not understand what he was saying to her, because I was busy talking with the infant Jesus, who came down from his mother's arms and approached me. I could not stop wondering at his beauty. I heard a few of the words that the mother of God spoke to him, that is, my confessor, but not everything. The words were, I am not only the queen of heaven, but also the mother of mercy and your mother. And at that moment, she stretched out her right hand, in which she was clasping her mantle, and she covered the priest with it. At that moment, the vision vanished. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode about the Assumption. And please be with us next week because we'll continue discussing Mary, especially her role in our faith, as we talk about the Rosary, which is not in vain, and it is biblical. And until then, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.